Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Will you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13? We're going to look today at verses 31 through 35. And the title of the message today in our Truth, Love, and Worship series is The New Commandment. We are in a series that is titled Truth, Love, and Worship. And uh, the reason for the series is because I believe that is, and certainly should be, if not uh, already is, the DNA of our church. Our church should be about, and our our church family should be about truth. Today, I get to talk about the one subject that everyone expects to hear about when they go to church. Everybody expects to hear about this. It's something that should be in the DNA of any church family. And not only... And is our church about truth, but we are also a body. We're a family of love, or so we should be. The importance of love became an imperative when Jesus elevated it to a new commandment. Our text, John 13 and verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him and himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. By this shall all people know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. But we're going to take about three or four Sundays to examine the value of love, God's love, brotherly love, loving our enemies, as we said earlier, and and more. But today it's about the new commandment. We're going to have four main points in the outline. Here they are. If you want to look for them, if you're following along on your iPad or your tablet device or smartphone, they'll be there for you. Required love, revealing love, rising love, and real love. And so we're going to start at the new commandment, which of course is required love. And let's read again verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. The disciples' responsibility was to love one another just as Christ had loved them. That's the way they were supposed to love one another. It's an interesting thing about love in the book of John. The word love is used only 12 times in John chapters 1 through 12, but in the rest of the chapter... It's used 44 times. After the new commandment is given, then there's more and more and more said about love. And when Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, he did not mean a new in time commandment because love had always been important to God's people and had always been important to God. Leviticus 19 and verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. 
but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it wasn't new in time. Love has always been there. God always expected us to have a love for one another. Love would take on a new meaning and power because of the the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. But love has always been around. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, love would have a, a new power in our lives. And so to that end, there was a new expectation. There's an expectation that goes along with this new commandment. Now, whether it is new in time or new in emphasis, the commandment is to, uh, to love is as much an expectation as the Ten Commandments given in Scripture. Thou shalt not commit murder is an expectation in the Ten Commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself is an expectation. Ronald Reagan wrote an 11th commandment for the Republican Party, but the real 11th commandment is given by Jesus, that we should love our neighbors and we should love them as, as, uh, and we should love one another as Christ has loved us. Love is an expectation of life. Parents expect children to love one another. And when children do not love one another or do not act loving toward one another, parents are annoyed, they're brokenhearted, they have a lot of other kinds of emotions when children do not demonstrate love one for another. God expects his disciples to love one another just the way that parents expect their children to love one another. There are a lot of times in the life and times of my children when I had to work with them on loving one another. There were times when my parents had to work with me about loving one another. It's not wishful thinking on the part of God. It's a serious commandment. He has the expectation that we're going to love one another. You say, well, I'll tell you this. There's some people I just can't love. Well, you might say that, but that doesn't change God's expectation for you to love each other. Well, there's some people that just rub me the wrong way. I can appreciate people rubbing you the wrong way. I've got people rub me the wrong way. It doesn't change God's expectation of me to love one another, to love others. There's no change in that expectation regardless of how the other people rub us wrong. It is a serious commandment, one for which Jesus is the example. Not only are we expected to love one another, but we're given an example as to how we can love one another. John 15 and verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There you go. As indicated, Jesus is about to show the disciples a whole new kind of love. In his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, he would show his sacrificial love. Even more, he would show the love of the Father even more than his own love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 15 and verse 13, greater love 
has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. An 18th century pastor may have said it best. Here's what he said. Love for our neighbor consists of three things. The desire for the greater good of everyone, to do what good we can when we can, and to bear, excuse, and hide others' faults. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about here is that sacrificial kind of love of the cross, not the superficial love of the world. When we love each other, not only do we endure each other, but we even cover the faults of one another. We find no reason to speak of the faults of other people when we have a a love for them. The new level of love offered by Jesus is a required love for each of us. Here's something else about that love. It's a revealing love. When you have that kind of love in your life, it shows something to yourself, it shows something to the people that you love, and it shows something to everybody else. With the new commandment is the possibility of a new identity. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that with salvation, at that point when we are born again, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that old things pass away and all things become new. Now, we can make many observations about the impact of the new life and how the new life ought to affect us. However, there's something else to consider. We should consider how will our love for one another impact our lives. If you drew a line today and you said, all right, beginning as soon as this message is over. In fact, let's not wait till then. Let's begin right now. Beginning right now, I'm going to start loving other people the way that Jesus loves me and the way that Jesus loves other people. I'm going to start it right this second. How quickly do you think that certain issues of your life would go away? If you started right now loving other people the way that Jesus loves you, how quickly would, would certain problems and issues, issues leave your life? Here's what Jesus says about what will happen uh, from his revealing statement. We have to face a couple of questions as a result of this. <clears throat> Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, that also means this. If you don't have love for one another, people won't know that you're a disciple. You say, oh, they know I'm a disciple. Because I wear a cross or I wear a what would Jesus do bracelet or I carry my Bible. <clears throat> I put my Bible at work. I do this, that, and the other. And I'm glad that you do all those things. There's nothing wrong with doing all those things. <clears throat> but the question I have for you is this. How do you reveal it through the way you love one another? <clears throat> How does that make things different for you? you? You have to ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all, this is a big question now. Ready? You've got to ask yourself this. Do I want this? Is this something that I want? Do you want to, A, be known as one of Jesus' disciples, a follower of Jesus? Do you want to really 
love <clears throat> others the way that Jesus loved you? Think about it. Is this something that you want to do? Do you want to be identified with the crowd who follow Christ? Now you say, Pastor Ray, of course I do. I'm here on Sunday morning, and I'm so glad you're here on Sunday morning. I'm so thankful that you're here. But let me just say this. It's a safe position here on Sunday morning. It's a safe position and I will, that, to say that I want to love other people. Because, I mean, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you don't want to love other people the way that Jesus loved you? Nobody would raise your hand. Because if you did raise your hand, you're afraid that these loving Christians would start hating you. You know? <clears throat> we don't want to raise our hand and say, no, I'm not going to love others. I don't really want that. You have to ask yourself that. Yeah, you're, you're here on Sunday morning. But could I tell you this? That fewer and fewer people are identifying with Jesus through their local church. So you're even being here on a Sunday morning demonstrating your, your desire to love. Being here on Sunday morning, fewer and fewer people are like you. Did you know that the Southern Baptist Convention reported this year that in 2012, 180,000 Southern Baptists stopped going to church altogether? <clears throat> Period. <clears throat> Kaput. Done. And, and that doesn't even touch other denominations and other religions. So there's a large contingency of, of Baptists and other professing Christians who are not being known as his disciples even by their attendance on Sunday morning. So there's got to be a way to be known even beyond that. <clears throat> You're in church today. Thank God for you. The question is this. <clears throat> Do you want to be identified with him in the other areas of your life? Do you want people at work to identify you with Jesus? Now today, <clears throat> it's all about being politically correct, isn't it? Do you want to be identified at work as being associated with Jesus? Do you want that? Earlier this week, I was asked to come to a, a meeting of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, they have what they call a nuts and bolts uh, <clears throat> meeting on every month. It's a breakfast meeting. And I was asked to go there and, and give an invocation, give a prayer, a morning prayer. And so I went and I gave the prayer and, and uh, it was wonderful. I was, I was the the guest of one of our members, Matt Tharp, and, and by the guy who's leading that, one of the graduates of North Florida Christian, <clears throat> Aaron Boyette. And, uh, and I did so and stayed for the meeting. The meeting lasts about an hour and a half. And as I walked out the door, a guy walked out behind me and he said, I like that. And I said, uh, he said, I'm glad you're here. And I like that. I was a big advocate for <clears throat> bringing that back. And I said, what? And he said, the praying he said, you can't start a day off right without praying. And he said, I, I like that, that we brought that back. And evidently it had fallen away for a period of time, but that group of people within the Chamber of Commerce said, we want to, to bring that back. But could I tell you this? Not everybody wants that back. The world that you work in and the world that you live in every day, not everybody wants manifestations of Jesus in that world. The question is, do you want that? Do you want to allow yourself to be a manifestation of Jesus by the kind of love that you have, even in the workplace? Do you want that? Do you want that among your, your neighbors? 
Do you want to be identified in your neighborhood? More will identify you in the neighborhood by the kind of person that you are than by the symbols that you put on your house and hang in your window. Much more will. How about this? (laughs) Here's your good question. Uh, at, At this point in time in our history, would you like for the IRS to know you as a a follower of Christ? That's a legitimate question. Because I will tell you this, more and more Christians are laying low because we're living in a politically, <clears throat> politically incorrect or a politically correct world and, and we don't want to be <clears throat> politically incorrect. Love for God and God's work and God's people is revealing. Do you want to be revealed? Do you want <clears throat> to be outed? Do you want to come out of the closet as a Christian? Everybody else is coming out of the closet. What about you? <clears throat> Would you like to come out of the closet and say, hey, look, just want you to know that I really am praying for you and I love you and appreciate <clears throat> what you're uh, doing and I pray for you every day. Do you want to do that? <clears throat> you want other people to know that's who you are? I feel a little funny about that. Well, <clears throat> okay, you can feel a little funny about it, but if you want it, then it, it should become a, a part of your natural speech hey did you read the newspaper this morning that's a part of your natural speech did you see that article on the uh the news yesterday that's part of your let me ask you this here's here's your good deal how many of you uh know the breaking news in the last 48 hours about paula dean would you raise your hand you know the breaking news in the last 48 hours about paula dean all right that is a that is a perfectly natural question it's a part of life hey did you hear about paula dean Did you see the news about Paula Dean? You can go home and look the news up. But my question is this, why should it not be just as natural to speak speak of of things of the Lord and to love one another and to, to out yourself, so to speak, as one of his disciples? So the first question is, do I want this? Here's the second question, will I do this? Now you have to decide if you will love the brethren. And I'm not even talking about our enemies here. We'll talk about that at at some point. The the question is loving the brethren. Can we at least do that? The the challenges in loving other Christians are many. There are a lot of challenges in loving other believers. Some of those in our our family aren't... uh, very likable the question is can we love them can we love them to the point that we get over their unlikability and oftentimes here's what we say we say well now I love them the way that I'm supposed to and then we go on and we explain all the ways that we don't love them and and this is not isolated to one or two of us this, if I <clears throat> threw a blanket out over everyone that does that, everyone would be touched because we all do this. We all have these <clears throat> things where we have awed in our heart against somebody that we are supposed to love, so we make the obligatory statement that we love them, <clears throat> and then we follow up with all the reasons that we don't love them. We do that all the time. <clears throat> Look, there has to be a sense in which we can overcome the issues that divide a friendship and a relationship 
and embrace the common love of discipleship. There has to be. There has to be a way. What about those disciples who have really disappointed you? Really disappointed you? Hurt you bad? You held them up on this pedestal, and they did something that was just absolutely wrong. You know, there are a lot of people that don't go uh, to church today, and the reason is because they cannot learn how to love the brothers and the sisters. And here's what I mean by that. I used to go to church, but so-and-so happened, and I just quit going. They couldn't get past disappointments to love somebody that's a part of their spiritual family or continue loving them. All of us have families, and we get disappointed by our families, but it does not change our love for our family, or it shouldn't. I have three adult sons, grown men, profitable in their own right, leading their own lives. Of course, you know, Nathan has, has two children of his own. And I can assure you that in the course of my life, uh, I have disappointed those sons of mine. And they have disappointed me. But I can never remember one day where I was not fully devoted to them. Nor do I want to try to remember a day. Sometimes people will talk about things in the past where somebody has done this or done that or whatever it may be, and, and I'm so thankful to God that on occasion he's allowed me to, to not remember those things. <clears throat> I can't remember that. I don't know. And I'm not setting myself up to be special. It's just that way. And it's a good thing. We have to love people who disappoint us. If we don't love people who disappoint us, we'll never love anybody. Really. Everybody disappoints us. I have a friend and brother in Christ. Very, very close to me and close to many of you who disappointed me greatly. And I love that brother to this day dearly. He and I text. We talk on the phone. He has apologized over and over again. He doesn't have to say another word about it ever. Because... We love each other. I'm certain that I disappointed him along the way. The the question is, do you want to do that? Are you willing? Are you willing to love somebody even though they've disappointed you? Can you love them? Can you love the disciple who disagrees with you? That's tough right there. (laughs) You know, we get so head up about our spiritual understanding and, and when somebody disagrees with us, we can't even disagree and still love. It's just, it flies all over us. It's no small question to, to ask if we really want to do this and will we do it. And I, and I have to tell you that being in church culture all of my life, and I have been in church culture all of my life, 
I think I've shared with you how that when I was a, young, a teenager, I had a drug problem. I don't know if I told you that or not, but I did. My daddy drugged me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. <clears throat> had a serious problem with that. I've been in church all of my life. And I want to tell you this. I've seen plenty of folks who have a faith in Christ, yet they lack a love for one another. Come on, that's, that's supposed to be a mark of our faith, is that we love each other. It should be a mark of our church too. And don't think for a minute that those times a church family is in discord, that the community is not making a judgmental call on this new commandment. Don't think for a minute, I, I, I thought Christians were supposed to love each other, they'll say. We have seen Democrats and Republicans get along better in the heat of disagreement than some Christians do when there's a church issue. My hope and prayer and belief and endeavor is for our church to have in the very core of our DNA the type of love that overcomes differences and makes needed sacrifices for the good of the brethren and for the glory of God. Can somebody wake up and say amen? Amen. This new commandment is a required love. It's a revealing love. And it should be a, a rising love. Do you recall this verse about how many times we should forgive someone? This is from Matthew. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. This speaks to the attitude of Jesus. If we can forgive somebody 77 times or endlessly, shouldn't we be able to love one another with a growing love as well? Discipleship love should not be a dying love. It should be a growing love. It should not be a, a falling love. It should be a rising love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love for one another. For and for all as we do for you. I want you to think about that verse. Increase <clears throat> and abound in love for one another and all. Our love ought to be growing. It's a big love, isn't it? <clears throat> and the word increase means to grow. Our love for each other <clears throat> and for all should be a growing love. And let me tell you, that's a challenge. To love like this is a challenge. And the, the longer you live, the more challenging it is. However, remember this. We're not loving one another as we might love each other, but we're loving one another in the example or in the light of Christ's example. That's the way we're supposed to be loving each other. He loves in spite of our shortfalls, not because of our perfection. Peter put it this way, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Our love should come from a pure heart. People say, well, that's me because God knows my heart. <clears throat> I know that I'm, I'm pure in my heart. I'm clean in my heart. God knows it. Or you have somebody say this, well, if I know my heart, I, I'm thinking the right thing. Here's the problem. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then ask this question, who can know it? <clears throat> Only one, 
God can. God knows our heart. Well, then how <clears throat> can we love from a pure heart? The only way to love from a pure heart is to love <clears throat> with the love of Christ. In our flesh, we do not have the capacity for pure heart love. So when you love the brothers and sisters and when you love your enemies and when you love the family of God, you uh, do, uh, do so not as they deserve, but do so as Jesus would love them with a giving, merciful love. The other word of interest in this little uh, piece of a verse is earnestly or fervently as the King James Version puts it. Understanding it practically might be a better way to, to, to know it. You know how you can blow up a balloon and you, you blow it up and blow it up and blow it up and blow it up and then just the point before it explodes, it's the last breath can be put in there. Okay, that's the full extent of the balloon. You might even say to, to a, a child, I, I'm afraid to put any more in this. I'm afraid to, to put any more in here for some reason. I do not know the reason, but for some reason, my wife years ago, and she keeps them, bought surgical gloves to blow up as balloons for my grandson, Bradford. And you can't, they're not made to tie. <clears throat> so Bradford will bring them. And he said, Pops, can you blow this up? And I'll blow that thing up and I'll blow it up and I'll blow it up. And then I I get it to where I think, well, maybe I can still, still tie. Now blow it up more. Blow it up more. I mean, you're going to reach a point where that it's the outer limit of the thing and it's going to blow in your face. <clears throat> Did you know that practically understood, that's what the word earnestly means? That, that we are to love someone to the outer limits. Not by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin, but love them to the outer limits. I mean, I love you till it's about to burst. That's how we love our families. We pick up our grandchildren and we hold them so tight. And we, we, if they're little ones, we kiss them right down in here. And, and, and we just hold on to them. And we, it's like every... 10 minutes we feel like we got to have a hug and and every hug is one of those things where we feel like we got to squeeze tighter and and tighter but we don't want to squeeze so tight that we hurt them so somehow or another we try to find the limits of the squeeze where that they will really know that they've been squeezed but us not hurt them that's love right there you know that love that's love that's why we're supposed to love each other it rep represents the extent of God's love for us. That's how God loves us. God loves us with this love where he hugs us up so tight. For any of us to have this kind of love, we've got to rise from where it is right now. I've got that kind of love for some, but I don't for everybody. And the reason is because that I fall into the category that all of you fall into, and that is to give out deserving love. You know, I want to give love to people who deserve it. I want to give love out to folks that, that say, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, well, they deserve my love. Too often, our love is a judgmental love.
I love them, but I don't love their ways. Well, you know what? There are a lot of people's ways that I don't love. But I guess the question is this. When you love with the love of Christ, do you have to go ahead and make the rest of that statement? Or can that just be a given? Can you just love somebody? Just love them? There are people in this world who we love dearly, whose ways we do not love, whose ways may change someday because we can love like Jesus loves. You got to do it. It means that we have to rise. It means that we have to, to come up. We have to stop loving judgmentally. We have to stop loving conditionally. Well, if you'll apologize to me, I'll love you again. I'm not going to love you till you apologize to me. No, why? Why? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would be apologetic enough to deserve it. Jesus' death on the cross would apply to them. For by grace are you saved through earning it. But God commendeth his love toward us in that if we would stop being sinners... Christ would die for us. Didn't work that way, Rich. He died knowing that we are sinners in the midst of our sin. That's how he loves us. Quite honestly, we're not supposed to be loving judgmentally or conditionally or cautiously. I love you, but if you hurt me again... I'm not doing this again. No, no, no. If we're going to love one another the way that Jesus loves, and that is our example, if we're going to love that way, then how do we love? We have got to love with grace and mercy. It, it, we have to, to be different. This new commandment is not describing the kind of love that we typically have. It's describing the kind of love that we can have and should have. It is a perfect love. Well, here's what we've seen. We've seen a required love and a revealing love and a rising love. <clears throat> Let me finish by telling you it's a real love. I, I remember when I was a teenager wondering how I could tell if I was really in love. How can I tell when I'm really in love? <laughs> you know what the answer always was? You'll just know. You'll just know. Every question's had that, every person's had that question. And we know there's several kinds of love. There's a romantic love, there's a brotherly love, there's a devoted love, and more. Of all the love that we know, it's understood that real love, or that love ought to be real, regardless of what level it is. If I love you, it ought to be real. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. I know this sounds cynical, but having lived as long as I have and being in the position 
that God's put me in, I've had a few encounters with disingenuous love. There is that love that wants something from you. This kind of love takes on many forms, but it's, it's quite recognizable. The new commandment is not for that kind of love. It's for a genuine love. And here's the one test that should settle it for all of us. Jesus said it in Matthew, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you ever read any of the things of C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis once wrote this. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. We can love all people a lot easier than we can love that person. Loving everybody in general is often an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Wow. Here's a great little story that tells us more about the way that we should live out this new commandment than maybe anything else. A man was conducting a survey and he knocked on a front door. A little boy opened the door and stared at him. The man asked the boy, how many people live in the house? And the boy replied, there's Jimmy, there's Mary, there's Sophie, and Bobby. And the man said, wait, 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 Uh, look, just give me the numbers. And the boy said, there are no numbers in our house. They all have names. Can you feel that way about the family of God? Do you feel that way about your church family? Who are those people sitting on the row with you? Who who are they? They've been sitting there for as long as you can remember, and you love them, I'm sure, because they're part of the church, but do you love them as a part of a collection or do you love them individually? Do you love them as you love yourself? Do you, do, do you have a real love from this new commandment? That love should be a part of the DNA of every church family and it should be the part of the DNA of every believer. Now, today as I give the invitation, I don't want you to think that I'm inviting people to come forward and to kneel at the altar and admit that they've not been loving (laughs) the way that they should. Because the truth is, none of us have. And the even more brutal truth is, probably none of us will. But shouldn't we be moving in that direction all the time? Shouldn't that be something that we're always working toward? Shouldn't we occasionally take a breath and say, Lord, how do you love this person? Let me love them with the love that you do. Because I'll tell you right now, the love that's wrapped up in me is not working. So I want to love them with your love. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.